0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us today. Last week, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz announced that the state hired its first chief equity officer who will create a new state office of equity and opportunity. Offices and positions like this have become more common in the past few years. After George Floyd was murdered in 2020, corporations and small companies made pledges to address systemic discrimination both within their organizations and in the community. And as of October 2022, companies had pledged nearly $340 billion to support racial justice. That's according to McKinsey and Company. But what has actually changed? In a few minutes, I will talk with two diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders here in the Twin Cities about what DEI looks like in practice and how to create meaningful change. And we're taking your phone calls, too. I want to hear from you. What diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives have you seen in your workplace? What impact has it had? And if you are a workplace leader, a manager, an employer, how are you approaching equity and inclusion? You can call us at 651-651. 227 6000. Again, the number is 651 227 6000 or call 800. 242 2828. You can also tweet me at Angela Davis, MPR. First, it is Monday, so that's when I like to get an update on what is happening with the economy, the top economic news headlines. Chris Farrell is here, NPR's senior economics contributor. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Hi, we're uh, Minnesota's making national news today. President Biden on his way here, uh, visiting uh, Cummins power generation facility in Fridley, uh, part of his administration's Investing in America tour. Why should we be paying attention to
1: this? So, well, part of it is the administration and Biden, you know, after he signed the Inflation Reduction Act, Um, and there's a lot in that Inflation Reduction Act about boosting investment in green energy technologies. And Cummins after says announced it's going to start manufacturing electrolyzers in the U.S. for the first time. And this helps, um, produce clean hydrogen that can play a really good role in these sort of clean energy supply chains. And by the way, there's a really good story on the website of NPR news sort of detailing what it is the administration is trying to accomplish with this trip. Mm-hmm. But this follows on the president was down in North Carolina. He visited Wolfspeed, which is a semiconductor manufacturer. And what the White House is doing is a, is for the next three weeks, a lot of trips around the country highlighting investments. And the background to this is the widespread expectation that this is laying the foundation for the president's re-election bid. Mm.
0: And uh, another uh, announcement over the weekend, we learned uh mm-hmm. that OPEC Plus... uh Announced that it's cutting oil production by one more than one million barrels a day. Uh, what does this mean? Is that good? this is not good news? Not this good? is
1: not good news. And and what's really interesting, Angela, is that you look at the experts; they were all surprised. They were all stunned by this move. Looks like a power play by Saudi Arabia. Because one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about today, before this happened, was: Have you noticed that no one's complaining much about the the price of gasoline? And you know, mm-hmm. oil prices had come down during uh, the previous month because of all the concerns with the bank uh, problems and what that might mean for the economy. And so now we're, we're back to yeah, higher oil prices.
0: Because gas prices now like around 330. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it's kind like
1: of that. settled in, in mm-hmm. that in that area. And so this is not good news. You have monetary tightening. You know, the Federal Reserve's tightening. Now you have the oil Price will uh, be an additional tightening for the economy. I don't think you know we're at raising the alarm bells and saying this is awful. This is terrible. This is really going to take the economy down. But it's not good news for the economy. As far as spending,
0: uh, consumer spending, how is that looking this week?
1: You know, the American consumers keep spending. Uh, the number that came out in February was, was moderate, but we had a big spike in January. So you take a step back and you look at the two months and really it just comes down to we got a low unemployment rate. We have more and more people have jobs. And so the consumer just keeps spending. We got another piece of good news on the inflation front, which is the the, the measure of inflation that's really favored by the Federal Reserve. It came in at 5%, which was down from the previous month now. 5%, 5%, still well above 2%, which is the Fed's target range. Nonetheless, if you look at, if, if you're charting it out and people can, uh, can't see me because we're radio, but mm-hmm. I'm sort of drawing, uh, uh, starting in the middle of, of the summer of 2022. And then you just kind of keep going downward with the inflation rate. It just keeps going down. So that's, you know, that's a good news for the economy.
0: Uh, The employment number for March comes out on Friday. We've wrapped up another month. Uh, What are forecasters predicting this time around?
1: So with the the consensus prediction out of Bloomberg, so they they survey a bunch of economists and they do the median forecast, it'll be a quarter million jobs will be created. So we had 311 jobs, 311,000 jobs created uh, last month. Uh, The previous month, now they're expecting about another quarter million. So this is good news. And employment, the economy just keeps keeps growing. And the thing that really – there are two things I would encourage people to look at with the employment number. You know, one is the evidence is that more and more people who were discouraged, who were on the sidelines, they're coming into the job market. I mean it's just been go, been going on long enough. But the other is, you know, one of the most disturbing numbers. And there's a study – looked at the ratio of black unemployment to white unemployment over the past 60 years. And mm-hmm. good times and bad, that ratio is double. You know, it just is. And so So twice as many, twice as many. So uh, in February, uh, the white unemployment rate was 3.2 percent. The black unemployment rate was 5.7 percent. So one of the things to look at closely is is that ratio narrowing is the black unemployment rate coming down more. Uh, But so far. That gap remains.
0: Uh, Another uh, bit of news on Friday, uh, something that matters to a lot of people news about Social Security. Uh, The 2023 Social Security and Medicare trustees report uh, came out. It it takes a look at the financial health of uh, social insurance programs. And your note here to me says that Social Security won't have enough money to pay all beneficiaries the amount that they are entitled to starting in the year 2034. A year earlier than last year's projection. That's right,
1: and um, you know. And by the way, I said 2034. It's 2033. That's 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 my bad. That's my bad. Uh, That's my fault. So it's 2033. And um, this sort of depletion date, this insolvency date that that you hear about, it doesn't mean that Social Security goes bankrupt. It means they're going to pay about eighty percent of its benefits, but that is terrible. That is awful.
0: Yeah, I want it all. Uh, yeah. I don't well, want 80%. You, you,
1: you've, you've earned it. The right. Urban Institute has these calculations. The poverty rate goes up by 60%. And then you look at particularly hits, uh, women and blacks really hard if we go to 80%. And then you just assume we continue at 80%. So.
0: And it's not that far away. It's not that far this away. It's 2023. So in 10 years. And it's
1: also, that. it's not that big a deal to shore up the finances of Social Security. However, the politics are very difficult. And right now with the debt ceiling debate, they put Social Security off to the side. So it's going to have to be dealt with. And uh, the big fight in this is is whether benefits are going to be more generous, in which case you reform Social Security in ways that are more based on taxes or whether you're going to cut benefits. And this is going to be a big fight over the next 10 years.
0: For the rest of the hour Chris we're going to be talking about diversity equity and inclusion efforts and pledges and uh, you and I have been talking about uh, a recent study that demonstrates um, what uh, you know what diversity equity and inclusion the value of it the economic returns of it and yeah. what does this report show
1: so I think this is a really clever study. It's by uh, Joe Waldfogel at the University of Minnesota. He's an economist, and he focuses on women. If you think about the creative industries, um, women participate at depressed levels compared to men, right? For example, relative to white men, women, blacks, Hispanics, you know, they're underrepresented among Mm – Inventors listed on patents. So the study is the welfare effects of gender-inclusive intellectual property creation, evidence from books. Now, can it be a longer title? I don't know. But that's (laughs) okay. We got a long title here. But what he does is he looks at the book market. Women authors 1960 had an 18% share of the market. Since then, it's over 50%. So in other words, in half a century, women went from producing one book for every three produced by men to parody. And then he goes... Do what economists do and do all all this study about how this has really improved our society, improved our economy. And I just want to just uh, read a little bit from the conclusion because I Mm -hmm. think it fits into a topic you're saying. He goes, look, this paper adds to an emerging body of findings indicating that inclusion is beneficial for innovation and growth. The influx of new products from female authors benefits not only women, but also men in their capacity as readers. Mm -hmm. And so what I like about this study is that it's very concrete – and it comes up with an ad, with a really inspiring conclusion. Why we should care.
0: Why we should care. Why we should care. All right, NPR's Chris Farrell. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll talk to you again next Monday. Thanks a lot. Now, let's talk more about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. After the murder of George Floyd, many companies made pledges and created DEI offices to address structural racism in their workplaces. So right now, I want to take a closer look at what companies are actually doing to improve workplace culture and hiring and training. I'm talking with two diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders here in the Twin Cities about what DEI looks like in practice and how to create meaningful change. And we're taking your phone calls. What diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives have you seen in your workplace? What impact has it had? And if you are a workplace leader, a manager, how are you approaching this work? How are you approaching diversity, equity, and inclusion? Here are the phone numbers to call 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. You can tweet me at Angela Davis NPR. Let me introduce my guest here in the studio with me. I have Courtney Schroeder. Courtney is the head of diversity, inclusion and belonging at General Mills. He was previously director of global inclusion at General Mills. Good morning to you, Courtney. Good morning. Hi, I like that word belonging. That sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah? (laughs) We'll talk more about that. that We'll talk about that. Uh, Angela Spranger is also here. Dr. Spranger is the Senior Diversity Officer and Director for Center for Inclusive Excellence at the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. She has a PhD in Organizational Leadership. Good morning to you, Angela.
2: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: That sounds good, too. Inclusion Excellence. Y'all have some great titles. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the work. Uh, uh, Many of us have heard these words, diversity, equity, inclusion, a lot over the last few years. And so Angela, start with the definition of the terms, because each word means something different. So when we talk about diversity, what does that mean?
2: Diversity is the start. Diversity is the numbers. Diversity is the approach to addressing what your organization looks like. So... Um, one of my favorite uh, DEI trainers, she calls herself a reformed attorney, uh, <laughs> is Verne Myers. And she uses this great analogy, um, but she uses it in the passive sense. She says, diversity is being invited to the party. Mm-hmm. I suggest that diversity from the active stance is diversity is inviting people into your organization or into the party whom you don't normally see there. Mm-hmm. So the actual concept includes both surface level diversity what we can see about each other Mm -hmm. you know and deep level diversity the things that you don't know you don't know somebody's religion necessarily you don't know somebody's political affiliation and those are diversity factors as well so diversity is simply the differences and sometimes the similarities Mm -hmm. between us
0: i like to think about rural and urban Mm -hmm. as well upbring those are diversity factors
2: absolutely equity what's equity equity is the goal equity is the goal. That's what we should be striving for. Equity is the situation in which we all have what we need, as opposed to equality, where, you know, we give everybody the exact same thing, which has been the capitalist meritocracy type norm in America and the United States for the last several decades. And while admirable, it doesn't help to give everybody the same thing, if everybody's facing different obstacles and starting from different places. And there's some the fantastic mm-hmm. memes about that online. Yes, I've seen some um, so, drawings and pictures exactly. that demonstrate equity. So equity is about everybody having what they need. Okay, inclusion. Inclusion is the work. Going back to Verne Meyer's example, she says, if diversity is being asked to the, to the party, then inclusion is being asked to dance. I say the inclusion is the work. So, the work of inclusion is taking the time and effort to think about who you're inviting to the party. And if you know you're inviting different people or into your organization, you're inviting people who are different, then you need to think about what they might need and mm-hmm. create a space where they will feel like they belong. So, if you're doing the work of recruiting people from a different religious background to come into your space, then you have to make sure that they have spaces where they can pray or food that they can eat or spaces where there will not be food so that they can observe their fast. Uh-huh. Right. So inclusion is the work. Inclusion is being thoughtful. That's all that is.
0: And Courtney, when all these things are right, when we get them all right, what can that look like or what does it look like in practice?
3: Well, yeah, and Dr. Spring does a great job. And I love that analogy. And I love the reframe into an action oriented Perspective, if you really do think about this idea of diversity being dimensions or identity, our differences and inclusion being the work or, you know, the behaviors and practices that create an environment where people feel welcome, heard, respected, you know, we talk about the end state of belonging being an emotional state where I'm not just included at the party, uh, but I belong at this party. I'm, uh, you know, this is my party. They're playing my music. I'm playing my music yeah. and I'm dancing like no one's watching, right? And so it's kind of, uh, you have to build. You have to have the diversity, but without the inclusion, that diversity will just either conform or won't feel they can actually bring that authenticity, which is the nature of it. Uh, but the end goal is this idea of belonging.
0: You need all three. I yes. shared with you before we went on the air, just my experience working in journalism, newsrooms across the country, whether it's broadcast or print, uh, traditionally overwhelmingly white. Uh, and you know, in my experience, have often not been welcoming Right? So maybe from the top, you have these you know diversity numbers. We're going to do the right thing and try to you know, hire more people of color, but then you get into the newsroom and it ends. Yeah. So that inclusion part, to me, is the one right. I really focus on. And so when you don't have that inclusion, what do you see happen with, with workers, uh, with employees? What have you seen, Courtney?
3: Yeah, you know, I think the, uh, you know, when I ask, when I try to talk about belonging, and I'll tie inclusion back to belonging, it is a, you know, a Maslow hierarchy of need. And sometimes it can feel very like, wait, what do you mean belonging? That seems like a lot to ask of a workplace. But I simply ask somebody, what does it felt like when you don't belong? And how do you show up to work when you don't feel like you have that those inclusive practices or you don't have that sense of belonging? And pretty quickly, there's a, almost everyone can recognize that sense of deflation, uh, that sense of, alienation that sense of I'm absolutely not giving all that I have. I'm just getting enough to get by, right? And so that's the downside. When you have the upside, uh, we think about it in terms of engagement. We think in terms of productivity. We think it in terms of how people contribute. They bring much more. When you're in that sense, when you have that belonging, you give so much more yourself to your work, both while you're at the job, but even when you're thinking about it on the weekend or you're doing something else, it's a part of you know how you operate.
2: That's engagement. That's organizational engagement. The amount of your discretionary energy, your discretionary intellectual contribution, how much of yourself are you withholding, right? I I get all excited when I think about inclusion as groundwater preparation. That's what you were making me think of, Angela, because um, when you are thinking about making making your workplace more diverse – then you are doing the work of inclusion because you're giving it some thought. And you give it a little bit more thought. What you're doing is groundwater preparation. The The story is told, short story is told about a man who wanted to um, fish. Um, I think it was uh, trout, some, mm-hmm. some sort of trout. And I know up here in Minnesota, everybody knows more about Walleye. hunting and fishing. <laughs> right, right. Walleye, right? Um, and I'm not a fisher person, but I will just try to do the story real quickly. But the gentleman wants to put these fish in a pond that already exists on his property. And he has fish in that pond already. And as he's trying to uh, talk to a vendor about getting these fish, the vendor's asking about what is the ambient temperature in in the middle of the pond and around the sides? And is there habitat and all these things about them? And the guy says, yeah, sure, I'm going to take care of that, right? He goes and gets the fish and puts them in the pond. But did he actually do the work to prepare for them? No, of course not. And so do those fish thrive? No, of course not. Within a short period of time, he stopped seeing the signs of life, and that's what Courtney was alluding to. What we see in our corporate organizations, our higher education institutions, is sure you you say you want to diversify your faculty, your staff, your employee uh, base, but then if you didn't do the work to ensure that they were going to be comfortable, that they could thrive, that they would feel welcome then you're going to see the turnover statistics like what we've been seeing in the last few people years. People leave.
0: People leave. Right. The good people leave. So let's talk about what we've seen the last few years uh, after George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis in 2020. Uh, nationally, corporations made pledges to address uh, systemic discrimination within the organizations, within the community. It's been almost three years. We're coming up on the anniversary at the end of May. Mm-hmm. And um, from you know both of you being in this field of work, how do you describe how much progress we have made both here in Minnesota and nationally Uh, in this this DEI space Courtney
3: yeah well I I first will just quickly say I do think progress has been made and I think you can tell progress has been made in large part because the amount of backlash you're also now seeing now What I'll say is that the headlines right now are about promises unfulfilled. It's about DEI jobs actually being cut. Uh, But I still think regardless of that, we've taken a step forward. You know, there are more companies engaged, uh, not just in hiring or bringing fish to the pond, uh, but in the cultural work, in the talent work. I think there's more individuals who are aware of racism, who are aware of inequity, and maybe their allyship or their contribution was reading how to be an anti-racist and it ended there. But I think we all still will have this collective memory of that moment and that collective memory uh, will continue to drive progress. And so while I think there's been progress, man, I think the expectation that this was going to always be center plate uh, wasn't fair. We've never, you know, as a society, there's very few things that keep our attention for many years. Mm -hmm. I think the broader question is, and the bigger question is, Where do we go from here? Right now that we are seeing the pendulum swing back, now that we are seeing people, you know, actively think about DEI as something we should not have, something we should be working against. The question is, what do we want to do in this moment, knowing the progress we have been made, knowing there's a lot more to be made?
0: In your job at General Mills, uh, what are you proud of? What successes have you all had, do you feel, in the last few years?
3: Well, I think, you know, even if we go to that moment, and I was telling Dr. Springer this earlier, in 2020, a lot of the work we had been doing for many years kind of culminated in this moment where, you know, we were able to, as a, attended a YMCA conversation, YWCA conversation, time to talk about race. That forum's been going on for many years, and we borrowed that forum with the help of the YWCA to turn into a courageous conversation platform. We had started allyship work in the fall of 2019 And so in that moment in 2020, we were able to get 4,000 employees to talk on Zoom about race in America, right? And we had people who were facilitators. We knew we had, and when people said, what do I do? What do I go from here? We had actual content, e-curriculum modules to help folks think about allyship in that moment. And so what I think we recognize and what I'm proud of is that we take this as a journey. It's very much not a point in time. Um, I'm very proud of our leadership. I'm proud of the folks who do the work day in, day out, but it's a clear Recognition that no, this isn't just done. We're not done because it's three years later. No, this is an imperative for our business. This is an imperative for our brands, and so we act accordingly.
0: Hmm. Angela, what have you seen that's been encouraging to you? Or, or, or how do you think we've we've done Na- well, as a I'm, nation, and just here in Minnesota, and actually making some progress?
2: I'm really excited about what I've been seeing here in Minnesota. Absolutely, um, and kudos again to Courtney and the General Mills family of brands, because the work that I've been seeing up here indicates that as an organizational theorist, I know that it's true that organizations are made up of people. Mm -hmm. And what happened here in Minneapolis in 2020, in front of everybody, in front of the world, was actually something that pried open the hearts and minds of people all around the world. And so it was a useful thing. It was a horrible tragedy, but a useful thing in terms of getting people to open up and start thinking about who they wanted to be. And that's what I think we have the opportunity to keep working with and working on in our organizational context. Now, people want to see themselves as good. They want to see themselves as allies. Mm -hmm. And so we get to teach and train them on how to do that telling them what, helping them to find things to read, to move forward in the journey. Because Courtney's right, it's a journey, it's not a jolt, it's a marathon, it's a a movement, not a moment. And this is not going to be solved just by hiring one person and checking the box. This is going to be something that organizations need to keep putting attention on for years.
0: And for organizations who are discouraged because, well, we hired the people, we read the books, and then the people still left. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's a lot of workplaces now. Mm -hmm. What was missing? What didn't go well?
2: I think that's a great question because that's very self-aware. That's an emotionally intelligent question because now you can sit down with your leadership when they're saying that, right, Courtney? And they're complaining and they're going, well, why can't we keep them? We've done what we were supposed to do. Okay, now we need to sit and and analyze. Okay, did we create an atmosphere of belonging? What What are we missing? Why did they leave? What did they tell us when they were leaving? And then we start to listen in a deeper way. And we all grow from that no matter what our race is or our gender is.
0: I want to take uh, some phone calls now from listeners as uh, we talk about the work that diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders are doing within companies and institutions. Uh, I want to hear from you. What diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives have you seen in your workplace? Uh, What impact have they had? And if you are a leader uh, within your company, how are you approaching diversity, equity, and inclusion? You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242. 2828. Uh, Let's go to Andover, Minnesota and take a phone call. This is Shade. Good morning. What did you want to share or ask as we talk about this?
4: Thank you very much. Um, It's very interesting that we are talking of what is currently in my mind. And um, over time, I just think what we need most about um, this issue is to have diversity training as one of the core Programs from the government, for every organization, the main problem is that we don't have enough training to understand ourselves, our culture, our our individual uh, norms. If we get to get to the base, a lot of people do not even know what is a uh, discriminatory statement. I just shared some went to officers in my office while having a quarrel. And everything they are saying, they are not aware that they are, it's a discriminatory. One telling me, telling the other person, this is a black beach," Then the other one is saying, this is my country. you got to leave. One saying, oh, he's always harassing me. He never promotes me. These are all the things that are elements of
0: uh, discrimination. So, we so, this, shade. Is, so sh- this is, so this is in Andover. So, uh, some of what, uh, 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 what Shade is describing is, uh, people don't have a, a, a broad understanding of other people and other cultures. So that makes it difficult to talk and, and even begin to think about this because uh, so many of us are living in a comfort zone and we surround ourselves by people we know and understand. And then when you bring outsiders in it, or just that, I shouldn't say outsiders, just people who are different, different that it creates a lot of conflict. So she's <laughs> describing a scenario and where, where people are arguing. That's natural You don't want normal. that. Um, and
2: I think that one thing too that's been positive and helpful over the last several years is that we've evolved from um, that some of our phrasing and so now we refer to things as professional development because everybody wants to grow in their professional career and be more equipped to lead more effectively Um, and I think some of the things that Shade was referencing unfortunately um, would have to get dealt with in a very clear manner I don't think you would need government intervention you would definitely need your organizational leadership to step in there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's workplace things specifically, but I, I think the underlying underpinning is that, um, you know, our teachers do an amazing job, but our educational system wasn't designed and hasn't been able to help us understand the nuance of the diversity of our identity mm-hmm. and really engage in a way that's inclusive and depending on where you're raised, how you're raised, and your exposure, uh, there's going to be a lot of these dimensions of diversity. They're going to be new to you. Mm -hmm. And for many people, that reaction is, um, it's either fear or it's, uh, you know, that fear of the unknown comes into play. And so, this to me, while it is a a workplace issue, because in the workplace, we do need to form teams. We need uh, everyone to feel that inclusion and we need to get to that sense of belonging to get to a workplace that's more engaged and more productive. But as a society, I think it begs the bigger question of, you know, how do we navigate the diversity of our country, right? And how do we actually think about having real conversations about that diversity in a way that helps everybody feel a sense of inclusion, everyone's sense of belonging, not just within their community, uh, but within the broader context.
0: Let's take a phone call from Minneapolis. We have uh, Dr. Joe on the line. Hi, Joe. What did you want to tell us or ask?
4: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Hello. I just want to mention that I think there's a few things missing with DEI. Um, I belong to a DEI group and we add justice and belonging, which I think are critical aspects. And then also I think with DEI education, uh, there's a carefully avoided topic of white uh, supremacy. And I'm just wondering what your guests have to say about why that's avoided and whether or not that should be discussed as I I think that should be added to the discussions Mm. and
0: okay let, let's ask, let's ask so a lot of these conversations and training uh, involve all kinds of, of, of topics and a focus so uh, does white supremacy come in as a topic of conversation when you all are, are working with people you hire to train or, or training that you're doing yourselves what where does that fit in the conversation do you think uh, Dr. Springer, sure. First of all,
2: I want to celebrate Dr. Joe um, for belonging to participating in uh, DEI work, and I also want to lift up that I know when I abbreviate diversity, equity, and inclusion as mm-hmm. DEI, I'm also, and I like to lay this groundwork in any sessions that I do. I'm also referring to justice. Um, accessibility and belonging. It's just that DiJab is such a long acronym. Um so we're not we're certainly not excluding those things and and we have to pay attention to and that brings me to the second point. We have to pay attention to who we're serving and how we're trying to serve them. When we are approaching an audience, a group, an organization that is predominantly white, We have to think about is an anti-racist militant approach going to be the most effective at bringing all those folks into the room and listening to the next step they need to take on their diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, belonging journey. We have to equip people. We get to equip people with the tools that are appropriate for them at the stage they're at on the journey. Now, if we are in an organization where everybody is ready and fired up and they have an anti-racist approach then great, we can equip them with those tools too to move forward on that journey. But what I've found, particularly in the business school environment and in the corporate environment, is that we have to take more of a DEI approach. And that is acknowledging we have so many more populations that yes, we can start with race. Absolutely, I do start, I have to start with race as a black woman, race and gender, and then all of the other diversity factors that we mentioned earlier. So yes, we do address um, race relations. But yes, we are very careful about how we address them.
0: But the point is just, let's just treat each other with respect. Mm -hmm. You know, Courtney, what what can you add about some of these conversations that can get difficult? And what do you focus on? And what do you do not bring into the conversation? I think at
3: the core of this, the question really comes back to the organization itself and its why and its purpose, right? And so, you know, for some people, there's always this moral argument that this is the right thing to do. And one of the first questions I had when I got into DEI work is how can a university, you know, a business, a nonprofit all say DEI? don't they mean very different things given the nature of that organization? And they do. And that's the, the piece of it. If you're in a, you know, some settings, you know, you are going to have a race equity lens. And if you have a race equity lens, then yes, I do think very much talking about openly white supremacy. And I've seen this in the nonprofits I'm engaged with while in a corporate setting, you might be trying to figure out how to maximize diversity because you recognize diversity at the table is actually going to lead to greater innovation is going to lead to better um, results on the bottom line. And you you want that diversity. So your goal is actually intended to think about bringing that diversity, having that inclusion. And back to Dr. Springer's point, you have to meet the audiences where they're at. And so there are hard conversations. Now, I do think underlying all of this is ability to have really tough conversations, conversations where you allow folks to make mistakes, conversations that do have guardrails um, and actually talk about these issues that are happening because we see so many people experiencing the things outside of the walls of General Mills. And you don't just cut that off when you walk in the door, right? You bring Mm -hmm. that with you. And oftentimes you want to be able to have a space where you can have that conversation, how it impacts you, how it impacts your work, your team, and how it impacts the broader organization.
0: Let's take a phone call uh, from a listener as we talk about DEI efforts. And Minneapolis, Abe is on the phone. Hi, Abe. Good morning.
5: Hi. Good morning, all of you guys. Thank Mm -hmm. you for taking my calls. And I'm calling from Minneapolis, from Grassroots Real Estate Developer. I wanted to bring back about the George Floyd murder. I think the Lake Street, mainly the South Minneapolis, uh, most of the migrant workers, migrant business owners and families has been displaced. It's been almost over three years since it's been happening. There was a lot of promises has been made and has not met. We still see those vacant lands so when you guys look at dei can you guys also look at rebuilding as well because we used to have that dei once upon a time that has been diminished and has been gone and i was wondering also the gentleman that you have from general mills and for anyone who's mm-hmm. listening especially minnesota companies do they have a plan to support and promises that they made for us to come and invest in our own community i think diversity and you know equality and inclusion it starts with our own communities. I have not heard or, you know, seen so, anybody else until now to come and invest in my community.
0: So, Abe, you're talking about a lot of small business, a lot of small business owners lost their customers um, after, uh, you know, the pandemic and after the the civil unrest we saw after George Floyd. And so you're wondering, like, what about efforts to, to, to get these businesses and these uh, business owners back on their feet? Is that what you're asking about?
5: Right. It's right. a rebuild it rebuild. Well because there's a lot of vacant land and— mm. uh, the city and the state had made some promises and those promises has not made at you all. Know,
0: I hear you. I've seen it. Okay, uh, what would you say uh, to Abe, uh, Courtney? What, what do we know about General Mills and other large corporations? What can be done to help? Well, I think, uh, you know, Angela, at the
3: beginning of the piece, you talked about Governor Waltz appointing a new chief equity officer. And mm-hmm. so if I think about you know, this idea of why should we have a chief equity officer for the state? Why should there be equity and DEI officers within city government, within regional governments? This is very much, you know, I think Abe is very much talking about that core issue of about how is redevelopment done? Is redevelopment being done equitably? Are resources equitably? And to Angela, to Dr. Springer's first point, equitable does not mean equality. It's not equality. It's a difference. What does that community need right now to actually rebuild? And so this idea of having someone who's thinking about this, because at the core underlying all of this is the idea that if you revert back to the mean, systems always revert back to what's easiest for them. And those easy ways of doing business oftentimes have led to inequitable outcomes. And so having someone who's thoughtful about our approach, thoughtful about our investment, that reinvestment um, is critical to making sure that um, these corridors, that Lake Street corridor is actually being rebuilt for the communities of the Bringing back the folks who were displaced.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. And Angela, what can you say about what you've seen, particularly with small business owners or community groups and, and, and trying to rebuild? It hasn't happened. Well, first, I would
2: say hi to Abe, because Abe was one of the participants at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion last week, raising these very important issues. A
0: national conference that brought DEI leaders here from around the nation. Mm -hmm. And
2: it was eye-opening and fantastic. I, as a new Minnesotan, have been seeing exactly what Abe's talking about, but I've also been seeing Um, the depth and breadth of the DEI ecosystem in this region. So organizations like General Mills, for example, participating in the Twin Cities DEI roundtable to have conversations just like this. How can we engage with our community? Um, Organizations like MEDA, headed up by the amazing and inimitable Dorothy Bridges organizations like, well, the chief equity officer too. Thank you, Courtney, for mentioning that. Dr. Stephanie Barrage. Yes, because we've got to focus on the Mm -hmm. needs where they are and address um, particularly that painful piece that Abe mentioned about promises that have been unkept. I think that's really important, whether it's a racial equity concern or an economic concern When our organizations, when our companies, when our governments make promises, they absolutely have to follow through on them.
0: So, Courtney, you're part of a a group called the Minnesota Business Coalition for Racial Equity. What does that uh, group do?
3: Yes, coming out of the summer of 2020, a group of, uh, you know, businesses and a broader, you know, community organizations, uh, others came together to form this coalition. And in uh, the coalition's intent was to improve the lives of black Minnesotans. And so it's very much to this idea of um, we all very many, many of operate individually, kind of bit siloed, right? We do this work kind of within the walls of our company. What could we do if we started working together? And so for the last two and a half years, uh, this coalition has been up and running. It's currently led by a phenomenal woman, uh, Tiffany Daniels. And we're really focused on a few pillars, including policy, thinking about our workplace environments, thinking about black business. And we're actually partnered with First Independence Bank uh, to help them get uh, folks to understand what they're doing in the community and think about making. A and so it's been a way for coalition to drive more systemic change versus these one-off efforts, which oftentimes can feel not just frustrating, but that you actually haven't moved the needle.
0: Mm-hmm. And so people who are, I, I get back to this question, like, you know, when are we going to actually see the action? So what should people do who are waiting? And should, is it just about keeping, continuing to raise your hand to say... We need some help. We need some attention. You know, the promises were made. A lot of money, you know, we've said has been dedicated to, to DEI. But where's the action? So what's the advice? Is it, is it to continue to be vocal, to keep asking questions? to to how do you hold people accountable who raised their hands, who said that we want to help? What do they do? Well... I, I can't help but make a plug right here. So I appreciate <laughs> conversation, but at some point there needs to be some action. Action, yeah. Right?
2: So, um, as an, again, a new Minnesotan, and my role as senior diversity officer is inaugural at Carlson. Um, one of the things that we did, that we initiated at Carlson last year, was a conference that was free, and we called it Live Into It and it was the Carlson School DEI conference, just to let the community know that we now are entering that space and ready to do the work. Um, We had some fantastic panels. We had some great small group conversations. We had an awesome keynote speaker. This year, we're going to offer Live Into It again, but the theme is the business of community. And what Abe has just done, and what I've been hearing other folks do over this past year, as I've been listening, is give me more um, ammunition, if you will, or information that I can take back to Carlson. The amazing intellectual resources that we have right there at the School of Management, like the amazing Dr. Joel Waldfogel, who is my colleague and who got a wonderful shout out this morning because of his economic report on, um, DEI and, and gender. That Chris mentioned. Uh, right, right. That was fantastic. Um, but we're, we're actually taking action in terms of st- sending out student teams to help do the research and the consulting work that. Abe is talking about that needs to get done. So
0: we should be encouraged by new positions, people like you and Courtney, yes. who have, have been hired and elevated to do this work, to raise the profile of it yes. so that there can that the action can come. Uh, let's take another phone call in Brooklyn Center, this is Jude. and Jude, what did you want to ask or share as we talk about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion?
6: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, my name is Jude, and I run a small company called Pardio Consultant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're an inclusive economic development, a social enterprise. So our, our job is primarily two. One is that we train small businesses, especially BIPOC businesses, to be uh, business ready and scale. And the second job we do is that we work with local governments uh, to make their procurement and business accessible to underserved businesses. So we work squarely on equity field by being a small company and also non-profit organization as well. We don't have resources in most cases to reach out to the grassroots that we see every day and work with every day. So I know this discussion is primarily on um, bigger institutions, but uh, those of us in the grassroots, we need more uh, collaboration with those who have resources to do our work better because mm-hmm. we see these people on daily basis. And it actually is very, very overwhelming, especially mm-hmm. when you are into the system and see what people see uh, pass through every day trying to make uh, both ends meet. So it's really difficult. But I appreciate the effort and I would like to connect more with those of you who have those uh, connections at that high level mm-hmm. so that we can bring what's happening in the grassroots to you and you can also support the work. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Jude. And uh, Courtney, I look at you and, and General Mills, a big Fortune 500 company. What are some of the connections that are happening or how could General Mills be a resource to a, a smaller a company in terms of, of resources that they need?
3: Yeah, I think well the, the, the larger the organization, the more you're going to see this kind of work show up. And so uh, we've actually had an Office of Diversity since nineteen ninety four. That's around the same time we started our supplier diversity efforts. And so you know, some of the pieces we're talking about is how do you actually make sure that your actual spin, both the direct and indirect spin, is going out equitably. Uh, but then we have a really strong, you know, global impact team and a foundation team that very much works. And I, I think back to this question of what action looks like or how does the work show up. There is a lot of people people, a lot of organizations doing amazing work out there right now. And so I would encourage everyone, there's different ways. There's an individual level where you need to go on your own journey. There's an interpersonal level about thinking about who do you surround yourself with, who your friend groups look like, how do you actually relate to those who are different from you. But at an organizational level, if you ask those questions, you will find resources. I, I think we probably could sit here, Angela, and have another dozen callers call in and tell you about the work they're doing, the way to get connected in. And so um, I would just encourage folks who are looking for action. To get engaged with those uh, who are doing the work.
0: Let's take another phone call from a listener. Uh, this is Abdullahi from Apple Valley. Uh, thank you for waiting. And what do you want to share or ask, Abdullahi?
7: Yeah, Angela, thank you for inviting this mm-hmm. uh, topic. I would love you to have more about it. So, and thank you to those who are uh, from uh, Cargill or uh, General Mills the, and the U. And, we- and you know, I want to I want to mention uh, a couple of things. One is. Um, Minnesota made a progress about equity and collisions. I can attest that. I remember uh, 10, 12 years ago, I was in working in Nordstrom as a system manager. Mm-hmm. My my department manager didn't care about it, but the, the, the store manager was uh, adamant about saying, you can't talk with Somali here. We were like almost eight employees out of like 12. So she was like on us. And I believe, I believe that time there was not any equity inclusion. that people talking about that time, but now things change, and I don't think so. Any employer talks about. It. I'll give you another example. That Minnesota,
4: made so you
0: Abdullah, you worked at Nordstroms. Uh, he said, uh, and at the time, the managers told workers you cannot speak in Somali when you're there in the store working. Um, but he, he says it's gotten better. Things have improved, and so uh, in our final minutes here. Uh, what are the improvements? What are the progress? What are you seeing that's encouraging to you? I think what I've seen that's encouraging that there are, are uh, more conversations about DEI and more people being hired to do the work and uh, that there is more awareness, there's more education about it. But uh, what do you find encouraging and what can we, you think we can expect the next time we have this conversation, maybe in a year or two? Right, we'll have to come back. We'll we be in a different um, place,
2: do you think? Thank you to Abdullahi because... The idea that there are changes, there are improvements. I think that's what we need to hold on to. I think we need to be excited about the movement from accepting that we are saying our organizations are excellent. Yes. And now we need to move them towards inclusive excellence. We need to weave the language of inclusive excellence throughout our strategic plans, throughout our um, approach to data and analysis and systems and all of that. We need to recognize that diversity, equity, and inclusion is not an extra thing to add to our plates, but it is part of every meal, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's just
0: a better way of doing what we're already doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What gives you hope for the future? Or what do you think will be in a year or two, Courtney? You think it'll be better? I do. Uh, I have hope
3: that it will be better. I, I see, a, I see us as a society having this conversation with more complexity as well. Uh, we're talking about ability and disability. Uh, we're talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. Without losing focus, that race, gender, sexual orientation continue uh, to be top of mind and things we have to give focus to. What I'd say for everyone is that you know things change. It's a, it's a very dynamic external environment. Uh, there's a lot happening both on legislation. Uh, there's things happening within the courts. And so if you can make sure you understand why you do this as an individual, why you do it as an organization, and hold tight to that and recognize that, I I look forward to seeing the work that folks are going to continue to do uh, because I think there's more great work being done now than ever. Mm -hmm.
0: And I'll uh, refer back again to what Chris Farrell said at the beginning of the hour, uh, more evidence, uh, a more recent study that shows that inclusion is beneficial for innovation and growth and that we all benefit from it. I want to thank our guests. We're out of time and thank our callers as well. Uh, We've been talking with Courtney Schroeder, the head of Diversity, Inclusion, and and belonging at General Mills and Dr. Angela Springer, the senior diversity officer and director for Center for Inclusive Excellence at the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. Thank you, Courtney and Angela. This conversation today was produced by Samantha Matsumoto. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at nine.